You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 7, Episode 3. Carissa, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I believe last time we recorded, we were complaining about the gray, rainy weather. And that has officially in Pittsburgh given way to sunny, but cold as heck out there. Uh, I was just out walking the dogs earlier and it was a little bit chilly. Um, But, you know, on a personal level, things are going pretty well right now. Kids are back in school. Uh, I think the holiday season is officially wrapping up and uh, we're getting back to more normal routines. How about you? Uh, yeah, it's it's still just gray and uh, icky. And <laughs> there was a little bit of snow uh, this morning. But uh, yeah, 24 hours ago, I was sitting on my porch uh, reading a book and <laughs> having a wee dram. And uh, it wasn't pretty out, but at least it was warm enough to sit out on my porch and read. And not so much today. So yeah. such is life. Such is, um, what do they call it? January. January? <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. And then there's us. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, we have back with us today um, our friend and colleague who joined us uh, for an episode last season, Ralph Lowe, the Director of Justice Ministries for the Pittsburgh Presbytery. Ralph, how are you, friend? I'm doing quite well. Uh, how are you guys doing? It has been an eventful, eventful season. Um, I'm looking forward to 2022. Uh, and I am so happy and blessed and, and thrilled to be with you again uh, for, for, this, for this season. Yeah, I well, think we're, this is, we're gonna yes, we're just gonna talk to at the same time. Today. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even a bit, believe it or not. You go first, Alan. <laughs> yes, we are absolutely thrilled to have you with us today again, Ralph. And um, you know, the thing that's keeping me going right now is knowing that in about two weeks I leave for Florida for a week of demon classes. So uh, I'm I'm very very happy about that. Wow. For our new listeners, fun. that is D M I N, not D E M O N. That's great. Yes. Enjoy it, Alan. Enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. So, we are exploring the season of Epiphany. And in our current series of interviews, we are talking to. Uh, other faith leaders that we know and find interesting. And so, Ralph, what epiphanies have you experienced recently? Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you, I have to start off by saying I text my sister, Carissa, and said, Oh, by the way, what specifically are, are we, are we going to talk about? And she gave me this first question. And, you know, from that moment on, I, couldn't stop thinking about all the epiphanies I've had over the past two <laughs> years because there's been so many. This season has been a just a different, I think the word we've used recently and a lot is unprecedented season that mm-hmm. we've had. Um, so I, I tried to be faithful um, to my colleagues who were on this and those who are listening to keep it to a minimum of just a few um, 
And the first I want to say, and this is going to sound tremendously crazy coming from, you know, just out of the box from someone who does the um, justice ministry work that I do. But one of the epiphanies I've had with within the past, let's say, 18 months is how far we have to come or go in racial reconciliation in this country. Uh, it is, and I blame a couple of authors for this. Uh, I blame my sister Carissa for this. Um, but specifically, um, I want to mention Isabel Wilkerson has a book called Cast. And I'm not sure if either one of you read that. Yes, you have, of course. But in that, I just reread it again um, um, in November. And in that book, she talks about the the caste system that exists here in in the United States and the response because of that caste system to those, my white brothers and sisters who economically are equal or in some cases below the line of, of minorities and their response to, and how she puts it is the response to a black president um, who has risen above supposedly his station, his caste, um, so that the seeing minorities as as advocates and, and those who, you know, are in the same um, stratosphere as them, or same environment, same everything, is beyond them because they have quote unquote they, a people of color, which I am, have risen above their station. So there's almost this this uh, how Isabel Wilkerson describes it is this unconscious. Um, realization that, wait a minute, something's being taken away from me. My station no longer exists. Um, I need to do something about it. So so what, what that equals is this, this sense of you have a lot of, you know, lower um, poverty stricken brothers and sisters who were white, who have turned to this ideology of, well, this president speaks for me. This um, political figure speaks for me, when in reality, they do not. Um, I know that's very broad. And if we had another two hours, maybe we can get specific. But <laughs> um, but I, I really, that really hit home for me. The and, and so when we talk about true reconciliation, where, you know, there is an examination of, of everything, an understanding of everything, history, current systems, and the opportunity to receive or not receive forgiveness and all, all those things, we really have a long way to go. And, and and I don't know that I didn't realize that or or just didn't want to see it. Um, it is it is frightening at times, especially as a black man raising black young men. But also, um, it makes me it it it, it actually empowers me. Uh, to do the work that I do in, in in different ways, so that we can actually plant the seeds that we need to plant as leaders, so that so that long way away isn't so far away. Yeah, I I, I wonder um, I, I wonder if you would would agree with this thought, Ralph. But it seems to me that when we are dealing um, on a personal relationship basis with mm -hmm. me as a, an, an educated middle-class white person and you as an educated middle-class person of color, we can get along just fine. And, you know, 
not have the weight of history in the front of our mm-hmm. minds when we are talking. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we think that we have moved because you and I can get along as individuals. We think that we mm-hmm. as a society mm-hmm. have moved mm-hmm. much farther than mm-hmm. we really have. I would. Would you I call would, that I, accurate? That's, that's, that's very accurate. And um, uh, just, just to, to talk a little more about that, you know, the, the, we, we, at least I do speak in, 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 in workshops in seminars that I give, I talk a lot about relationship and how important relationship is when it comes to understanding, whether it's, you know, understanding structures, systems, uh, people of color, uh, women, whatever it is, um, you need to have relationships in order to, to, to crash through the barriers that exist either consciously or subconsciously that you may have. Right. And, and, and to your point, I think in the, even in that conversation and that understanding of relationship, Alan, you and I have a relationship. So there's just almost this mask of, okay, we can actually enter into these spaces and be okay. When in reality, there is a system, there is a function of caste that is this broadly in a, on, on, on overlaps that, that is so wide and so immense that even this space, there needs to be hundreds, millions of spaces like this to even dent into that system, into that caste space. So thank you for mentioning it. That's so accurate. That's so accurate. I wonder too, if that's part of what makes this, um, this epiphany so threatening to um, a lot of white folks, Um, you know, that's something that, that, you know, I've, I've wrestled with in my own ministry in the past couple of years. It's just this, feeling of being threatened by the realization that there is still work to do here um, Mm -hmm. after years and years of denial of it. And I I think that part of it is, well, I'm perfectly nice to people of color. (laughs) You know, we can get along just fine if we play nice, but it, it goes so much deeper than that. And I I think maybe that's part of the reason people feel so threatened um, and take it as a personal attack when, when things are said like, Hey, racism is still alive and well, it did not end with the work of Martin Luther King Jr., who did incredible, important work, but he did not finish the task, right? It was too big for one man. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carissa, you're absolutely, fragility is a real, a reality of of this entire situation. And, and, um, you know, if if we have to acknowledge it, I think, you know, get ahead of it, you know, we, we have a tendency to um, when I say we, I mean all um, have a tendency to either push harder. Um, you know, um, you know. I, I know for a fact that some of my colleagues of color would would speak out and say, "I don't have time for what you describe as white fragility, right?" Which is this sense of a fear of understanding and knowing, um, but you don't know what you don't know. And you know, it's only when we have the uh, the, the shared conversation of, of, you know, what happens to me affects you and vice versa. Can we actually start to make those inroads into this reconciliation that we, that we need and Christ has, sh- has shown us. So, so you're absolutely right, Chris. I, I love that point that you just made. What, uh, what other epiphanies um, <laughs> have, have, have been turning over in your uh, consciousness? Yes. So, so this one is, is really the one I like to spend some time on if, if it's okay. Um, I, you know, I wanted to find a way of saying something different 
So the epiphany I have is is the anxiety of the soul, but hmm. that sounds like the anxiety of the soul, right? It just sounds so just like daunting. So what I came up with in in, in just reading and in 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 praying a little about it is just this: there is a such thing as holy disquiet, mm. holy mm. disquiet, right? So so. I know for me, and this is a personal for me, and I, and I think this will resonate with some of your listeners as well, is, you know, the uneasiness of the past couple of years, um, the, 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 the uncomfortability, um, you know, as, as a leader, we try to press forward. We've, we've, we've tried to adapt. We've done all, we've done all these things to, to try to navigate the pandemic and, and, and even the, the racial tension of our country and all those things that come up with that. Right. And, um, and I, what I'm talking about though, is, is the uncomfortability of, of the soul where, where there is this unrest that is constant. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, I will, I will liken it to, you know, being in the wilderness with the, with the Israelites, right. Or, you know, um, you know, I was, you know, this is the way the spirit works for me, but when this came to me, you know, yesterday, Jeremiah came up today for whatever reason, Jeremiah. And, you know, what does God say to Jeremiah? You know, I have good things for you 70 years from now, though. So so you got to wait. <laughs> you have to wait for the good things. And, and I think for me, the epiphany for me was I don't like the un- I'm a three in the Enneagram first. So so, you know, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I like to know. I like to understand. I like to look good doing it. So. So to, to be in a space where where we were uncomfortable and may not have the answers uh, to the question that we, and we may not even have the questions yet, right? It is it is it it is for me uncomfortable, unpleasant. Um, the 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 inner rebellion that I have personally, and I'll speak for myself, to want to do something or fix something or change something or move towards something can sometimes be not what God is calling us to do. We, we, it's okay for us to, re- I need, need to remember, at least I need to remember, I'm not going to speak in broad terms, that God is present in this disquiet, right? We, you know, God is still here. God is still working. And, and, it's, and it's selfish for me to think that this has to happen in this amount of time, right? That this, this conflict and grief and unrest, I need to put a finite time or stamp or date for this ending when maybe God is calling me to be in this space for a reason to prepare me as the Israelites or, or, or whatever, to move into the next season, the next thing God has, has, has for me. Um, I know, I know I've said a lot, you know, so, so I guess what I'm really trying to say is in this epiphany of mine, what I really sensed is, you know, sometimes a, a sense of disquiet is, a sign that we need to not be in control because God is actively moving in our lives and the, our opportunity to realize that is, is for me is very, very hard. And, but also what I've learned in my, in this epiphany is, is I, as I thought about this, it is when I have seen the work of God in so many different ways that I don't know I would have otherwise. 
So that that's one that I think some people may share <laughs> in this time. So I, so I one of the things that I'm hearing in there is um, just how American your consciousness is. Yeah. And by that, I mean, as Americans, we all have an incredibly strong sense of agency. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that there is a whole lot of discomfort out there because we are every day seeing the limits of our agency mm. and we don't have anything in our culture to prepare us for this unease. Yeah. And so I think uh, there's a lot of knee jerk response to this and uh, it's, I feel uncomfortable and it's your fault. Um, I, I feel uncomfortable and it's your fault for bringing up racism. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I, I feel uncomfortable and you did this to me. Um, yeah. yes. And, and what people want back is the sense of agency and the idea of simple answers and, uh, a whole lot of things. So I, I think, I, I, I find it very interesting that you that you mentioned that unease because yeah we do actually have a whole lot of scripture that mm. is about sitting in those uncomfortable spaces mm-hmm. and do. maybe it's the collective sitting in those spaces uh, in which we all acknowledge that we are uncomfortable and unquiet that leads us to collective action. Mm. Yes. Yes. That that's that's fantastic, Alan. You know, um in and again, you know, I, I thought of this as something personal personal for me, but 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 thank you for, for speaking in broad terms for everyone. You know, this, you know, I, I I using the term holy disquiet for me just grounds it in a way that it's okay to be in this discomfort, this this unease, this uncomfortability in a way that I, I wasn't possibly comfortable with before the pandemic. Let me, let me give you a story. So so uh, I think Krista knows this, but, you know, before uh, I got into the into ministry, I, you know, worked in the corporation. I was, you know, um, 60 hours a week. I, I thought this, this will get into my idolatry a little bit, but you know, so, but I'll save that for, for, for later, but I worked in a corporation and six hours a week and, you know, and, but I will tell you my disquiet, my, my, my anxiety of the soul was, was excessive, was, I I would even describe it as, is compared to now monumental. And, you know, I, I did not, I felt at that time in, in that role, um, working in, in, in corporation that, it just had to be that I hadn't done enough or I wasn't successful enough or, or whatever it was. When in fact, God was calling me to, I was purposely being in this discomfort, this uncomfortability because God wanted me to shift and move into something, something better and something greater that God intended for my life. And I think that sort of prepared me for what was coming with the pandemic because we could really not be prepared for the pandemic. Let me be clear there. But, you know, the, the opportunity for me to see God at work through the decisions I made in my discomfort allowed me to recognize this epiphany in that in the discomfort of this pandemic and all that comes with it, 
the anxiety, the, the frustrations, the, the wanton need to get back to whatever it is when we really can't because this will never go away. Um, what I've really, really learned and, and, and really realized is this time can be a holy time where God's presence can make a transformation in our lives that, are, that is so profound that it prepares us in such a, a wonderful way for the next uh, future um, of our lives. So it is, it's for me, uh, and you mentioned scripture, Alan, and um, one of the things that I reflected on when I, when I thought about this epiphany was Paul. Um, in Romans, you know, Romans talks about, I think it's Romans 8, talks about hope and, you know, that hope needs to be centered in understanding that this isn't it. Um, and, and then Paul talks about, um, you know, the spirit, whenever you're in this space of disquiet and, you know, the spirit will speak through us and for us in a way that, and interpret us in a way that we cannot and I think if we thought of it that way, I think if we just rest in the space of being disquiet, being uncomfortable and understanding that we have a loving God who allows for the spirit to speak on our behalf, to be present through us in a way that we not, might not be able to, that's comforting to me. That's a comfort in a way that I don't have to have the, have the answers. I need to be in this space and stay in this space. It's, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, my soul feels really uncomfortable and disquieted, but it can be a holy space where God is at work. So mm -hmm. I have, I have Alan and I talked about this a little bit not too long ago, but I have felt like we've kind of we entered Lent in 2020 and we haven't mm. left Lent since then. Um, it's that same kind of like un unrested um waiting space or like yeah. um unresolved holding, holding pattern. Yeah, it's unresolved. And, um, it, it's, it's been interesting to see how folks are so resistant to sitting in that in a healthy way, which is like, you know, human nature, because yeah. when we see that yeah. in the scripture, God is putting them through a growing resting time. They're like, nope, yeah. want to <laughs> go back to Egypt, please. And, um, and so we've seen that in, in people recently too, um, but, you know, the message of our waiting seasons in the Christian tradition, um, especially mm -hmm. in our Reformed tradition, um, like in Advent, mm -hmm. th the light cannot be appreciated unless you have walked through darkness. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how much greater of an appreciation are we going to have for the light when we come mm -hmm. out at the end of this darkness? Mm -hmm. Which will be someday, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> It will be. No, you're you're absolutely right. It will yeah. be. Uh, but I, I think that what's profound in what you said there is, you know, understanding there's there's a there's a mental transformation and shift that happens when you think of it as the light being brighter because we've mm -hmm. decided to be present in this season that we're in now, in this state that we're in now, understanding that the light will be brighter. Um, and it's just, as you said, human nature, it's just hard to do. You know, we want, we want to see the light now. We want to be there now. We want to, you know, be all the scriptures we can think of, we want to be at the end, you know, where it's, where, where, you know, as, as God promises, you know, Jeremiah, you know, the good things, we want the good things now. We, we don't want to mm -hmm. wait. Right. And I think for me in that discomfort, um, especially, and I, I'm going to say this to you guys and to your listeners, especially as a, as a black leader. Who, who wants to be able to represent and show that even in this time, 
we're taking steps forward to do something, accomplish something, mm-hmm. be something, right? And and in my limited um, capacity to 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 you know, because God God works through me in so many ways. Um, thinking my, my human limited capacity to think in a broad spectrum of w- what that looks like um, intertwines with that anxiety and that discomfort. So you know, if I'm not doing this or accomplishing this or, or, or even stepping forward in this when you don't even have the, really the questions that the pandemic has given. Uh, it's hard to live in that space. But what I found though, and I, I can't say this enough, is understanding that God's still at work in, in this time, in this space is, is, is wonderful and amazing. And it's allowed me to just open my eyes to, you know, my sister, Carissa, who, who lives, you know, less than a mile away from me, but it, you know, it kind of took for this time and space for us to really connect and become sister and brother. And, you know, that's, that's minor and profound in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, that, I, I would say that epiphany has really just thinking about it for the last 24 hours has really mm-hmm. spoke to me in a way that I, I really needed. Um, because I, I can tell you the work that I do for justice ministries, it, it, it can be hard, you know, having those conversations talking to um, my white brothers and sisters who, as you both have articulated in some fashion during this conversation, really don't want to hear what I have to say sometimes, push against it. Um, say, I, you know, I have a black friend in so many different ways. Um, uh, it can be hard and, 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 and stressful and that anxiety and, and that disquiet can come up. But understanding that, you know, just because I didn't reach 50 people in this, in this seminar or it, you know, the one person, the one seed that I planted is is enough. Um, can I share with you something I ran across as I was, you know, just kind of listening for, I listened to a couple of sermons about this, this holy disquiet. And I ran across this prayer um, from St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's called, oh, please, yes. it's called Sushi Pei. Have, Sushi Pei. Have you guys heard of this prayer? Sushi Pei prayer? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Okay. I'm going to share it with you. Sushi pay prayer. Take Lord and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough. For me. My favorite part of that is that is enough for me. It, it, it's just a, it's a, it's understanding. It, it truly is. I know I'm in the middle of it, this wilderness, this, this exile, whatever you want to call it, but your love and your grace is enough for me. And, you know, more so than the, the racial reconciliation, this epiphany for me has really, really diagnosed understanding in a way that it has affected my leadership, you know, um, when the pandemic started, you know, a lot of the leadership that I've done through Justice Ministries was pointed in, you need to learn this lesson at the, this end of this conversation. When recently, within the past six months, it's more about communion, community, coming together, having open and honest conversations, um, you know, being available, showing the spirit in a way that maybe someone hasn't experienced I think those things have really, really, uh, just this understanding has really helped in my ministry for um, justice ministry. 
Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. That is is great great and important epiphany to have this realization that sitting in the discomfort is is healthy and holy and is not morose or like a pity party, but is a place where God can really work through us. And you kind of touched on this. Um, but what, like, what are the idols then that God revealed to you, um, in that epiphany? Because one thing Alan and I wanted to do this season is turn the, (laughs) the idea of idolatry. We've kind of harped on collective idolatry, national idolatry, and somebody else's idolatry. And, uh, maybe that became an idol for us in some way, but we'd like to kind of reflect on ways that we as individuals can, you know, ferret out and dispose of the idols within ourselves. So that's why we're asking that question this season. That's, that's actually a great, a great question. Um, you know, cause it, so whenever, you know, I hear that word and, and it, idolatry truly means, you know, it's, it's, it's an issue of the heart, right? It's a transformation of the heart right? where, where we, um, um, it, it can only be broken through a transformation of the heart and, so for I, I will be honest, this is going to sound like one of those things that everyone says, and I know as I, before I say it, it, it is, it is, but it truly, you know, financial security for me as a person of color, my family, my my money, um, it really ties into this this sense of uncomfortability that I mentioned a, a little bit ago, because when I worked as in 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 the secular world, when I worked in in the corporation, you know. Um, it was really in all about, you know, the stability of the family, which is very important, right? Which is financial stability is very important. So please, please hear me. But, um, you know, what I've come to realize, um, what I've understood, I'm going to take a step back. So I had the pleasure of watching a movie recently called, called Don't Look Up. It's on Netflix. Ooh, okay. I just watched it last night. <laughs> so, Okay. So, so the, the short version of that is there's a meteor that's going to hit Earth, um, you know, and all the satire that comes along with that politically, which is some, you know, there's some, some political um, advantages that will happen if they don't announce it soon enough and all those things. And, you know, so you watch it for yourself and you'll see that. But what really spoke to me the most was at the very end when the meteor is about to hit, the the um, some of the central characters are just sitting down at the dinner table, having a meal with their loved ones. And someone says, and I can't remember who it was, Krista says, you know, we really did have everything right here. And it was in that moment that the realization was that, you know, we were rich, wealthy, secure because we loved each other and were to and are together through whatever. And I think for me, the the idolatry that comes out for me is not understanding or or understanding now, which was something I fought with before I listened to the call to go into ministry, was that security, um, especially financial security, but all that comes with that, you know, um, security as a black man, whatever, whatever comes with that security uh, means nothing without a relationship with Christ. It means nothing without the love that is shared with me and passing along to other people, right? There's, there's just no, there's that, that is the security. That is the comfort. That is the, 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 um, what it's all about is what I'll say. That's the, the message of the gospel. And, and 
I would love to tell you that I understood that 20 years ago. I was an avid churchgoer. I was an elder. I did all those things, right? And, and to, to an extent, I did. But I would hearken to, to go back to then to that person I was back then and say, hey, how important is you know money? Uh, uh, number one, I would say that in a heartbeat. Number one, you need, you know, if you don't have money, you don't, you can't do the things you want to do. I don't care what you say, right? So I think that to the level I raised that, that financial stability, that the, the money aspect of the financial well-being um, was actually hurtful in so many ways. My relationship with my family um, in, in so many ways, um, keeping me away from my relationship with Christ in so many ways. You know, you can't, you know, how often are you going to be in devotion, read the Bible, you know, and, and cultivate your relationship with Christ if you're working 60, 70 hours a week? I mean, it's just it's just not feasible, right? Um so, so I would say that would be the the, the major one, Chris. That was a great question. I, I think just the that that financial stability, money that I think a number of us would say, but it is a reality for me, especially when I think about it in terms of the the holy disquiet. You know, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, you try to find ways to be comfortable. Are we financially comfortable? Okay, check. You know, um, am I getting along with my family? Okay, check. You know, we try to get out of that dis- discomfort, and and I think for me, the idolatry came when with, with that financial piece. Uh, of that. That's a really tough one to overcome because that is so ingrained into our, we're in a capitalist society, right? And that is so ingrained into our very being and every aspect of our lives. So um, yeah, I'm sure that's one that a lot of folks wrestle with and really appreciate your vulnerability in in sharing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I appreciate it. Carissa, I think we might have a mic drop moment there. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe so. Yeah, that was. uh... So I'm I'm thinking that that maybe what we need to hear is that prayer one more time and we call it a wrap. Absolutely. And uh, Ralph, it's been a delight having you having you back again. Uh, we don't know yet what season eight will be or when it will be or how long this season will go or any of that stuff because we kind of fly by the seat of our pants a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think right now we're more organized than we've ever been and we're not super organized right now. But, um, you know, we'll be happy to to bring you back on anytime. You are more than welcome to to stop by Soft Idolatry. Well, thank you. And and I just want to say what an honor it is to be asked. I love you both dearly. Thank you so much for your message. It's needed. It's wanted. And it is so important. I, I can't say enough. It's so important. Um, today more than ever. And I, and I hope you receive that in all its good intentions. It, it, it's intended because it really is. So thank you both. Um, so the name of the of the prayer again is Sushi Pei by um, um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And here's the prayer. Take Lord and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Amen. And amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www. 
patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. <laughs>